Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. My guest today, Zura Bahman, was out of the country on a business meeting when the Taliban took control of Kabul. She is the Afghanistan Country Director for Search for Common Ground, an NGO that engages in community-based peacebuilding work. We caught up from Istanbul, and I was eager to speak with her because it is very unclear to me, and frankly to the entire international community, the extent to which NGOs will be able to operate under Taliban rule. Hundreds, if not thousands, of humanitarian and development NGOs have operated in Afghanistan for the last 20 years. And now a key question remains about whether or not they will be able to continue their work and under what circumstances. As Zura Bahman explains, she is eager to get back to her work and her life in Afghanistan, but only if certain conditions are met. To that end, she is urging engagement with the Taliban to enable development and humanitarian NGOs to work in the country on behalf of the Afghan people. All right, here is my conversation with Zura Bahman, Country Director for Afghanistan of the NGO Search for Common Ground. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Well, I was lost in Afghanistan um, until towards the end of the first week of August. So I've been out for about three weeks now. How did you get out? Were commercial flights flying at that time? Yes. Um, so I, uh, I I had to do something outside of Afghanistan. I had to meet um, somebody. And uh, so I took a couple of days off and also organized some meetings out. And uh, and I left uh, for Uzbekistan. I was due to go back on the 17th. And uh, on the 15th, I had some meetings with my colleagues um, online. And uh, they said that uh, there were rumors that the Taliban had taken over the city. Now, these rumors were uh, there before as well, that the Taliban had entered and there, you know, halfway through the city and so on. And I said, don't worry, and you can um, check um, to confirm the news. And um, I asked them to um, take the precautionary measures just in case things go um, bad in the city. And um, and as this became clearer and clearer, um, we gave everybody the rest of the day uh, to collect their things and go home and wait for further instructions. And uh, meanwhile, because my home is in Kabul, my entire network of friends and um, the family are in Kabul, I started to um, inquire about their well-being, uh, trying to figure out uh, how the Taliban were entering. Also, 
um, very frantically looking through social media to see uh, what was coming out there from official Taliban address. Also, we were wondering whether the um, where the government was. And um, uh, by the end of the day, things started to become clearer and uh, we realized that Kabul has, thankfully, without um, violence, fallen. But nonetheless, um, Kabul had fallen and we, um, we were no longer... Um, um, sure of what was going to happen next, and that uncertainty is still going on. So you were you were basically on a, on a business trip when Kabul yes. fell. Uh, so I mean, obviously your entire—it's not like you had planned or had the chance to prepare to leave. No, not at all. And um, um, I, I'm obviously out, uh, very ill prepared. But uh, as I was leaving uh, last minute, I just had my laptop and my phone and uh, uh, I, I pack very uh, e- e- economically so I am now in another country and uh, uh, and I feel exactly the way I felt um, back in the late 90s when um, we were lucky enough to escape um, when the Taliban were there before um, towards sort of towards the end of their rule um, which was uh, one day my, my father came. I was um, about 16 years old and my father came and told us that uh, we were leaving and uh, and we had, you know, a few minutes to pack and um, I feel the same way. And um, I mean, my, my home right now in Kabul, uh, it's with friends now. And um, every now and again, I sit here thinking about what is going on to my people, to my friends, but also to um, to to things that belong to me that that made me who I am my books and my my home my plants um the, my favorite cafe uh, I lived in a very lively area of Kabul and a few days ago I was thinking um a few few months ago I was walking down the road and and I took about a 30 minute walk and I saw one of the most amazing uh, painters uh, that that Afghanistan has seen in the last 30 years and he walked and I said hello to him I walk a little bit further and I saw um, one of the very uh, brave journalists that was actually still in, in Kabul. And then the more I walked, sort of my t- 10, 20 minutes walk, I saw so many cultural icons of, of, of my generation. I saw journalists, I saw human rights defenders, because this is where we used to gather and we used to walk around. This was sort of at five o'clock in the afternoon and everybody had finished their work and and at that point, I thought, you know, if this system falls, um, what's going to happen to all of us? And now I'm sort of one by one trying to keep track of everybody, wh- who's where and doing what and who's still inside Afghanistan. And, and you know, this is like not only uh, leaving for safety or which is what a lot of these people that I'm talking about did, but also sort of... Um, leaving things behind. And, and that's, um, that's a very painful um, thing to think about and go through. Can you tell me a bit about Search for Common Ground's work in Afghanistan before the fall of the government? Like how long have you been engaged there and, and what sort of programs were you running? Well, um, Search for Common Ground in Afghanistan is relatively new. Um, we've been working there for about um, three years. However, it's an amazing organization to be part of um, because it attracts people that believe in its core message. Um, and luckily, we have 17 people that work in our Afghanistan office. And each of them is, is are, are 
is, is a person who has dedicated their life and career to building peace in Afghanistan. So beyond the presence of institutional presence, um, such as um, people um, is what makes it um, a very uh, important organization um, for my people. And uh, we worked on community peace building. We still do. Our aim is to work with deeply divided countries, uh, communities so that they can find common ground. And uh, we did that th through some of our projects where we went in, we gave micro grants to communities and enabled them to test their peace building ideas. We did this in several um, provinces. We worked on access to justice, enabling people to access justice, formal justice, especially women and children. We are working around um, advocacy on inclusion of people, uh, ordinary, ordinary people into peace processes. We worked with women, we worked with youth, we worked with everybody that, um, that wanted to bring peace um, in Afghanistan. And uh, we did that through um, uh, sometimes working with media, working with youth leaders, but the key to our um, approach was working with local entities. So we have a lot of partners um, in our network. We have uh, youth partners, uh, women's organizations, but also a lot of community organizations, informal movements that have been mm -hmm. naturally born and they're taking the message of peace in a very, very divided and insecure country. Yeah, so, so I've been following uh, Search's work for quite a while, and, and I know that you have this comparative advantage of being very local when it comes to uh, peace building initiatives, just doing very, very sort of community-based work. Could you maybe just explain, describe, like, what is, like, one example of your community peace building work in practice as it existed in Afghanistan before the fall of the government? Well, um, there are lots of examples, um, but what exa one really important example was that um, uh, we worked with people in the in 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 the province near Kabul, um, and they gave us the idea of creating peace houses. They said that we needed a physical space where peace building could take place, um, and it could be consolidated there. So we created, with the help of our local partners. Um, in, in, in an area and a, a space, a physical space where people could go in, peace builders could go in, learn about peace building practices. Um, also, this is where people from the community would gather together and they would talk about um, they would talk about divisions, they would talk about uh, conflicts, and they would try and find a resolution. It was also a space to rest. Um, we had, for example, um, the peace movement that came from Helmand and, and, and walked um, through Afghanistan asking for peace. I mean, they, they usually didn't have anywhere to sleep. So we thought, what a good idea to have a place where these people could sleep, where they could um, engage in informal discussions so that we could um, make peace building pull peace building out of a formal official space, but more into a space that people could call their own. And I, I really want to replicate this idea further and make sure that the, these spaces are inclusive and these spaces are open for all kinds of people, people who have very, uh, who have views that are very different to others. Um, so that symbolically this place could, um, could be a safe space uh, for people to discuss conflict. So to that end, Given the current circumstances, do you see any potential for Search for Common Ground, for your team to 
keep it building on, on ideas like that and keep implementing programs like that. Very much so. Um, I am an optimist uh, with regards to my country and I have to be because that's my home. Um, luckily this view is shared by my colleagues as well. Uh, we really believe that we can play a positive role in, um, in leading a, um, our people, our communities and ourselves towards a, um, a, a time where we, resolve conflict by talking rather than engaging in, in, in armed um, conflict. And I think um, uh, based on this, we have not stopped our, our work. Um, we have continued to work. Our colleagues are going to office. Uh, some colleagues have chosen to work from home and our women colleagues are working from home, um, all of them. Uh, we've provided them with the opportunity to, um, with the facilities to continue that. And um, we are working on these ideas. Some of these ideas um, would, uh, we believe, move ahead because we have the community buy-in. Um, our local partners and ourselves are deeply embedded in the communities where we want to bring change. So the community and us and our other technical partners would make sure that these projects go ahead and um, however, there would be cer certain projects that where we would have to make some modifications. Now, modifications need to be made for various reasons. One of them is that we're not sure what donors are going to decide um, about Afghanistan. How long are we going to be able to have access to certain um, funds? Because I can already see that some countries have pulled out um, their um, their money from Afghanistan, their aid money. So that's one issue. Um, the other thing is, of course, the nature, the political nature of the country has changed. So as we continue our work, we have to constantly negotiate with the Taliban, with other um, factions and the in, 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 uh, political factions in Afghanistan, with local power brokers, and see if there are any issues um, that they have with our programming, any issues that we have that uh, that that we want to prioritize and see if we can reach a common ground there and, and make sure that we implement pro programs that meets everybody's needs. And, and here, of course, the community must be of paramount importance. So earlier you said the strength of your organization were the people uh, who worked there. And you just mentioned that people are still going to work. So I, I take it that the core of your staff you know, does not feel threatened. I mean, based on what you're describing, it sounds as if searches programs are pluralistic in nature, are aimed at at building peace. And the Taliban, you know, they don't exactly have a reputation for being pluralistic. Everybody's feeling threatened. Um, I'm feeling threatened um, right now. Um, I'm considering um, my return to Afghanistan, but I cannot decide on that until I am certain of what uh, my security is going to be or my, what my right as a, rights as a woman is going to be. Am I going to be able to go and go to work? Am I going to be, um, am I going to be targeted for uh, my work in peace and development? Um, am I going to be um, not allowed to uh, let's say, attend meetings or go to my work without a male chaperone. But, so these are some of the things I think about. What if my my dress code is not um, up to the standards uh, that the Taliban would impose? Would I be um, lashed on the street? Um, and these are some of the things that all of us have, have to face. We talk with uh, my colleagues every day and, um, and we talk about these things. So, of course, fear is there. Uh, and then also... Um, but the fear is about this uncertainty. We're also very much worried about um, 
what happens um, or, or what what happens to our um, economic security? We have um, we have what about our job security and so on? So of course these fears are there, and then also our freedoms. So security is one concern, but our freedoms are another concern, and we are constantly talking about it and, and seeing. But then life in Afghanistan generally and right now is about balancing. Um, so we are worried, but we are cautiously looking forward to um, things becoming clearer so we can see how do we modify our programs, how do we um, open new projects, how do we uh, make sure that we could continue our work. Um, but then everybody's security is incredibly important as well. So that is obviously uh, the, the first priority of the organization. And I know that you've advocated for some sort of international recognition or engagement, at least with the Taliban, presumably so that you could get some of the assurances that you just uh, articulated so you can go back to work. What are like the comparative advantages from a peace and development organization like yours to having the international community engage uh, or even recognize the Taliban? Well, recognition is not something we've discussed, um, but we believe in constant engagement uh, with all sides of this um, conflict. Uh, and the reason being that disengage, what would disengagement to do to Afghanistan? Um, I lived through the Taliban times when they were there in the late 90s, and the disengagement we experienced did not do us any good. But the small amount of engagement that we experienced, that was... Um, that trickled down to the public. Um, last time the Taliban were there, there were some um, organizations and some donors that continued their work. And that really provided a lifeline to, um, to people. A lifeline in terms of humanitarian um, activities. So I remember that it was that time that um, uh, one of the UN agencies uh, led a very big program um, of providing um, support to uh, families who could not access food. Uh, but at the same time, they created spaces where people could um, could could be busy and earn a living. And uh, women were involved in that project. And then in, uh, this was in the northern Afghanistan. And I think the project was elsewhere as well in Afghanistan. But um, in Kabul, there were lots of um, aid agencies that did that. And that those were the good examples that I remember as, a, as an Afghan. And I want to continue that. So there's a personal reason why I think that should happen. And the success behind um, those organizations' activities in Afghanistan was because they engaged. They came into Afghanistan, they came into Kabul, they went into provinces, and they engaged with local authorities. And at that time, they were every province or every zone of Afghanistan was controlled by a different um, by a different factions. And, and they uh, they were impartial, these organizations, and they managed to center Afghan people, and they managed to talk to different authorities, including the Taliban, to ensure that AIDS reach, um, that aid and um, humanitarian aid uh, reaches these people. And it was at that time that I learned about things like human rights and women's rights, and, and I was a child, so children's rights. And, and also I started to believe that I had a uh, role to play in my country's development. Um, and if I wasn't engaged at that time, if 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 I was forgotten about, um, then things would have been very different um, with me. And I really want to, uh, our organization, our sister organizations, and 
myself to play the same role that a lot of other organizations played for me when I was mm. stuck in a Taliban-ruled Afghanistan. And also in Afghanistan right now, we're not only there to um, make a political point. We're not at all trying to make a political point. We're there to support the people of Afghanistan. And there are lots of organizations, peace-building organizations, aid organizations, humanitarian organizations that are there with the mandate to support the Afghan people. Now, every every time somebody they disagree with politically takes power, and if these organizations leave, then they're not really following their own mandate of supporting Afghan people. So it is the commitment that the international organizations made to the Afghan people that needs to be upheld, regardless of who takes, who stays in ARG. Um, and also Afghanistan is a, a country where there's constant negotiation anyway. I mean, uh, we negotiate with local power brokers um, constantly, and we need to do that. But when I when we talk about mediation, when we talk about talking in negotiations with the Taliban, we do not mean um, that we should do it from a position of weakness. We should do it from a position of strength and a belief in our strength. Our belief in the strength that comes from um, our beneficiaries, the Afghan people, but also us as as an international organization, part of the bigger family of humanitarian organizations. This is a good opportunity for us to to negotiate our on our terms as well. Um, we need to make sure that um, the Taliban would um, not um, in, would not interfere in our right uh, in our female staff's right to work. Uh, we need to make sure that um, we we need to be on the table with the Taliban to argue that humanitarian aid or peace building is impossible unless there are women. Uh, delivering these services. Um, So these are some of the reasons why we think that constant talking is there. But this is very different to the recognition of the Taliban as the government of Afghanistan. And as an international organization, we don't have a say on that or we we don't. Of course. And yet for all the reasons you articulated why uh, engagement is necessary and further engagement by international organizations and international humanitarian and development groups in Afghanistan is important. Earlier, you said that, in fact, you're seeing a, a reduction in aid and in funding for programs, uh, which I guess is to be expected in a situation like this. But, you know, it seems um, to run contrary to what you are arguing. Well, there are some good examples. Uh, the EU announced an um, increase of its humanitarian um, support. Um, uh, I, I think they doubled it, uh, the, the commitment they had made. Um, so, so, so you get the pockets of good, um, good uh, practice in increasing um, aid to Afghanistan. But we have to be wary of something here. Um, a lot of aid that is um, being uh, pledged for Afghanistan right now, they seem to be in humanitarian um, field, so provision of basic services. Um, however, how can you provide basic services if you're not at the same time working on on peace, on human rights, on in uh, in a variety of other freedoms? Um, so I think we need to be wary of looking at, at Afghanistan as a purely humanitarian catastrophe. We should look at it as a as a space where we have to um, provide a menu of um, of support, so including humanitarian um, aid, but also peace building and work on human rights. Because unless these things are not um, covered, 
are covered, uh, we would not have uh, the um, the full impact of the humanitarian support. And Afghanistan has a um, potential for going back into severe dependence on humanitarian um, aid. Uh, lastly, in the coming weeks or even months, what will suggest to you whether or not, as you said earlier, you are able to return back to Kabul? Like, are there any key inflection points or key decisions that you'll be seeing emanating from Kabul that will suggest to you whether or not you'll be able to, to come back? Yes, um, three things. Um, number one is um, Kabul airport or any other airport uh, for that matter. Um, so entering Afghanistan is right now uh, more or less uh, impossible. So once that starts, then let's see uh, if, if I can get on a plane. So that's my first <laughs> first thing. And yeah. the second is that um, what whether I would be, whether my work would be an, uh, possible, whether Taliban are going to stop me from working. Uh, in which case, if I go, I would not be very beneficial. So I will have to really um, find a way around that and make sure that uh, that I, I, I work with other uh, organizations to work on it, um, on, on, on enabling women to, to take uh, part in the labor force. Uh, so that's the second one. Um, I wouldn't... Um, I mean, security is an issue. Afghanistan has always had a security issue, so I, I would um, still uh, not wait for a perfect security to go back. Um, when you're in peace building, you don't really... You should, perfect security is a, um, is a luxury, um, not, not, not available all the time. So, so although security is really important, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make it um, into a sort of my, my red line. Um, the other thing I get always get asked is, um, what about your freedoms? Um, I have mentally prepared myself that uh, when I go back, a lot of the freedoms I experienced with, um, a month ago is not going to be available to me. And I am prepared to, by my presence there, um, negotiate for those. Um, I know that it will be very different. Um, the streets are going to be very different. Um, my freedom of movement and my freedom to go and to sit, sit in a cafe, uh, my freedom to socialize is going to be restricted. But I have to be there to, to, to work on these freedoms, to regaining these freedoms. Um, uh, and, and I want to go and do that rather than um, gain these freedoms in an in a alien space that, that I am in right now. Um, and I think um, I would probably see how things are going. I, I'm keeping a close eye. And uh, once those things are, 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 are um, better, then I'll go. But one more point about the, um, um, I, I'm not only thinking about the Taliban here. I'm thinking about the general Afghan society. Um, a month ago, I had, um, I had access to a legal system, albeit very corrupt and with lots of um, holes in it. But I had uh, access to the legal system. I had access to organizations that safeguarded my rights as an Afghan woman. I had access to mass media um, who were, that I could use to raise my voice if something happened. So these safeguards kept me safe as a single Afghan woman living on my own um, and playing a leadership role um, in my country. Um, now, without these safeguards, um, 
I see not only the Taliban posing a threat to me, but also other elements in the Afghan society. Remember that Afghanistan was never a safe space for, for women. So I'm, I have to think about that as well. I have to think about things like if the security is not maintained, would I be safe in my home? Would I be able to live on my own? If there are no legal backing, would, a, would my landlord continue to rent me my place? Um, would I be safe um, outside my home? Um, would I be safe if, um, if I decide to go and teach again in, in, in an evening university? So these are some of the things I have to really think about. Uh, well, Zura, thank you so much for your time. This was uh, very you know, helpful, impactful. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Zora Bachman for speaking with me. And I do hope she is able to make it back to Afghanistan under the right circumstances and continue her important work there. She needed now more than ever, I'd say. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.